Hi, folks. Welcome to the Tim Harvey Show here on Sci-Fi for Me TV 2 here on Twitch. Uh, of course, if you are watching this live, you can interact live with us through the chat room. If you are just listening to this at home as a podcast, we would love to hear what you think. There's a comment section. Uh, and, of course, we have social media all over the place, and we would love to have you interact. Now, the good news is, is that I am not going to start off this episode with the latest Harvey Weinstein scandal. Um, we've been talking about that before we recorded, and luckily, quote-unquote luckily, um, while the news is, continues to be terrible about all of that, uh, we don't have anything major genre-connected. Um, I, of course, have great faith in the awfulness of humanity, um, and so I expect we will unfortunately have this come up again, but we're not going to talk about that tonight. Uh, we are going to talk about a couple of things. We are going to talk about uh, the new Amazon Prime series, Lore. If you have Amazon Prime, this just started in the last week. If you don't, uh, it's one of the many great reasons to get Amazon Prime. I do not get paid by Amazon Prime. I would love to get paid by Amazon Prime. That would be amazing. Jason, can we get a sponsorship from Amazon Prime? No. Darn it. Anyway, um, <laughs> but I do have it, and I personally use it quite a bit. Um, but Lore, of course, started off as a podcast, and has now moved into the TV uh, or the online streaming uh, world as well. We'll also talk a little bit about a little bit about um, the new Star Trek series, Discovery, and some more thoughts I have on it. And then we're going to talk. Uh, the large portion of tonight's show is going to be about the Netflix Punisher series. And I have some thoughts on this because back in September, there was a, there's a website called, uh, oh, goodness, Task and Purpose, and I don't, can't tell you much about it. It's a military website of some kind. And one of, the, uh, one of the people writing for it raised some interesting questions about the Punisher uh, series coming from Netflix. And Chuck Dixon, who is responsible for a significant chunk of what you like about Batman, whether you know it or not, uh, had some comments to make on it, and I'll talk a little bit about some of that, but mostly about what concerns me about the Netflix series in general, and the character in general. Um, because one of the things that happened at New York Comic Con is the panel to discuss the show was canceled because it was right, it was scheduled to occur basically right after the Las Vegas shootings. So... New York Comic Con, Netflix made the decision not to have the panel. Perfectly understand that. Uh, but of course, the show's still going to air, and some people have asked some questions about that as well. So we'll talk a little bit more about that. But first of all, let's take this, uh, let's get this Star Trek Discovery thing out of the way. So, the last time I talked about this, I said that I was optimistic about the show. I, I was enjoying what I was seeing, it wasn't a perfect show. But there's some interesting things they were doing. And I still am going to say overall that is the case. But over the last couple of episodes, a few things have happened. And again, I'm not getting into spoiler territory since if you're not watching CBS All Access, you're waiting until the show comes out of streaming or download or DVD or whatever your format is. Um, the show, especially this last episode, has been very polarizing for a lot of reviewers. And some of them have distinctly hated it because the show went to some very, very dark places. And it did so using a character from the original series, Harcourt Fenton Mudd. And on one hand, I understand the argument that they took went somewhere much darker with a character that is not often thought of as terribly dark. Except, if you actually go watch the Harry Mudd episodes, he's kind of a monster. 
And he's a monster in the context of a 1960 television show. But if you listen to him, and you look at his face, and you look at his schemes, he's kind of a monster. And he's a charming, funny monster, but he's still really, I mean, this, this is not a good person. And there's actually a reason for his attitude given in this episode. Whether or not you agree that works is certainly a valid question, but I personally wasn't bothered by that much. Where it does go dark is with the character of, of Captain Lorca. And I've mentioned before that I think Captain Lorca is essentially being... He's, he's the character that we saw in a lot of the original Star Trek episodes, where it was the Commodore that went crazy, or the Admiral who went crazy, or the Captain who went crazy, the person who made the extreme decisions in a time of stress. I have to do this to save my crew or save the Federation. There's a long history in original Trek, in the expanded shows, all in licensed, authorized, um, you know, spin-offs of the show, where Starfleet admirals and captains and the Starfleet brass is kind of nuts um, for a show that is ultimately about optimism, and that is one of the complaints against the new show. Um, it had some very, very dark stuff happening in terms of the people who were running Starfleet. And that actually is an interesting place to tell a story, and they're doing some of that over here in Star Trek Discovery. Again, how much you like that is a matter of taste. Some folks do not want a dark Star Trek show. But then again, Deep Space Nine was really fantastic storytelling a lot. But Deep Space Nine also did something else. They would sit there and have this grim story where Captain Sisko essentially blackmailed, you know, or, or, or spoiler alert for Deep Space Nine and Romulan manipu manipulation, where he basically forces the Romulans to join the war by telling a very terrible lie. And the final scene of the episode is him giving, you know, confessing into his captain's log this thing that he has done which is wrong. It is morally wrong, it is ethically wrong, and it was necessary to help win the war. It's a really powerful scene. Of course, he erases it because for all the terrible thing that he's done, he views it as necessary. Now, this is the good guy, and we're rooting for Benjamin Sisko. And this, but then, like, the next episode would be an episode with Quark. You know, so it's silly, funny, or down at the bar, and here's the, you know, the jokey Ferengi thing, right? You don't get that in Discovery. It's, it's a dark show. It is a relatively grim show at certain times. And this episode really went grim. You get a sense of why Lorca is what he is. And you realize that, yes, congratulations, we were correct. If you thought that Lorca was going to be a Garth or a Decker or any of the other people who has had this experience of war make them a little bit crazy? Yeah, that's who we have here. Um, I wasn't bothered by it, but I'm, I know I'm, I bought into what the idea of this show is. There are parts of it I'm not overly thrilled on, right? Some of the, some of the playing with the, the big arc of what the show is currently about doing in terms of what the mission of Discovery is you know, it's going to get rebooted essentially by the end of the series because it's not part of the rest of Star Trek canon, right? And if this is set in Star Trek canon, it has to go away, right? So it's kind of a spinning wheel kind of thing that I think is weird. But overall, 
the show's got some flaws, but at least they're trying to do something interesting. And I guess, you know, again, your mileage is going to vary on this, and that's okay. Um, I think this show is hamstrung a little more by the fact it is a serial. It is not a standalone episode, standalone episode, standalone episode. All this stuff has to build on, it, on itself. And there isn't a reset button at the end of each episode. And that, as far as storytelling goes, I'm a big fan of that. I love the fact that, you know, 24 and Murder One and, and, and Farscape and all the other shows that really were part of the leading edge of this way back when, um, I love the fact that we have this. Episodic TV with the reset button is something that I'm, I'm not a fan of. But at the same time, it can hamstring you in terms of kind of the stories you want to tell. And I think that's a problem, actually, for Discovery. But anyway, um, if you're watching the show, I'd love to hear what you think. If you're not watching the show, uh, when you get a chance to watch the show, if you ever watch the show, let me know what you think. All right. So, Lore is this new show being uh, streamed on Amazon Prime. And there are, I believe, six episodes in the new series. Um, and what's interesting about Lore is that as a podcast, it started off as a fairly small, um, low-key kind of thing. And what's, um, what you run into there is it's another example of a show that the uh, Aaron Mankey, who created the show, doesn't have any idea why it became as popular as it did. All the great podcasts, uh, that's the question that they all have to say is, someone sits there and goes, hey, what was your secret? And they're like, we don't know. We just did a thing. And people listened, and somebody else listened, et cetera, et cetera. So um, this is, you know, we would love to see there actually be a wonderful uh, formula for it, but there isn't any such thing, apparently. But anyway, uh, lore is essentially... Aaron Mankey telling stories of folklore and history and pieces of Americana and, and European history and other parts of the world where some of the myths and legends that we are either familiar with or this is where some of them started or things you haven't heard of before. And each episode's about 20, 30 minutes, usually about 20, 25. And Aaron Mankey has a very distinct vocal style which is actually, on one hand, very soothing, and on the other hand, very creepy, when he's talking about something very matter-of-fact, about a disemboweling, or buried alive, or all these, you know, the, the, the horror at the core of lore, because at the end, it is a, store, uh, a show about scary things. Uh, what, how we view those scary things, and the impact it's had on us uh, with fiction, and culturally, and sometimes just in, in the terms of what it's meant in terms of history. So it's an interesting show. I'm actually a fan. So Amazon Prime has produced a version which is about an hour long. Uh, Galen Hurd from The Walking Dead is one of the people behind it. Glenn Morgan uh, from The X-Files. So it's got a pretty good pedigree. And I've watched the first episode. And it's called They Made a Tonic. And it is a mixed bag, I am sad to say. Everything involving Aaron Mankey's narration is fine. It's perfectly fine. It feels like the podcast. It may actually be, I'm not sure if it's, it's him recording new material for the show or if it is the podcast itself. Uh, I'd have to go back and listen to it and put the two side by side. But there's some very cool animations. 
that are going on as he's talking. And it's actually visually quite interesting. But on the other hand, there is a uh, section of the show which is live action. And they have used Campbell Scott uh, is, I believe, in the first episode. And what's interesting about that is that that section is actually really well done. And the performances are really, really good. And the pacing and everything, it's, just, it's very well crafted. And as somebody who's made films and, and has written films and you know, done editing, I really appreciate what they did. On the other hand, it completely doesn't fit the rest of the tone of the show. Even though it's essentially acting out the, 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 part, that Aaron, the part of the story that Aaron Mankey was telling people about. So it actually slows it down considerably, um, even though it's actually really well done. So obviously that's just the first episode. Shows, you know, first episodes are always an iffy place to start. Um, even in something that you know has all been done before a single episode is aired, the 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 first episode often doesn't quite have the feel. But there's often a timing thing. You've been making these episodes and you've got a set air date. So you know, I don't know, but. Initially, I can say that everything with Aaron Mankey's narration and this great animation, highly recommend it. Not so sure about the live action stuff. And it's actually got a really good cast scheduled for the rest of the season. So, something to watch. If you have Amazon Prime, I, I say definitely check it out. Definitely check out the podcast itself. Um, it's certainly worthwhile, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, so, I just don't know. Um, I'm, I'm enjoying it, but at the same time, not so sure about, about this particular format. All right. So, like I said, back in September, uh, the website uh, Task and Purpose, which again, I'm not, I'm not, I don't know much about it. It is a military website. Um, looks like it's covering uh, uh, quite a few aspects of military life, both before, after, and during. Um, and one of the one of the writers asked the question, you know, what are we going to see from the Punisher in the Netflix series? And his concern was that, you know, one of the things that happens in entertainment is that the military, the lone military character um, who does a thing that's violent is often portrayed as being a little bit crazy. And considering the number of soldiers who have come back... phone was very loud. Um, I thought I had to turn that down. Um, the number of people who have come back... Uh, in the military world who have been damaged um, for whatever reason is a real thing, okay? And, and using that as a political point or as an entertainment point, you know, is questionable at best. And I think that there's some very real concerns that if you are looking at this as, you know, storytelling about a military man who does what the Punisher does, you know, what does that paint the military what light does that paint the military in? And I think it's a very real concern. Um, we have talked about on several different shows, uh, whether it's been Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or Zompocalypse Now, we talk about it a lot on Zompocalypse Now, how the military in a lot of these shows are usually portrayed as being worthless. I mean, they're just, they're either corrupt or they're completely ineffective against the threat, despite the fact if you look at something like, you know, what our military would do with a real zombie horde, it's like, okay, come on, guys. You know, it's they they be at the very least they'd be much more successful than they are portrayed in most things. Or you have the opposite, where you have something like um, 
uh, Michael Bay's sort of fetishization of the military, but even he give, makes them sort of a joke. If you look at like, I hate talking about the Transformers films, but if you look at the Transformers films, there's a big military presence. But half the time they're portrayed as a bunch of goof-offs. Now, obviously, uh, our soldiers laugh at a lot of things, and you know they have their their people. They have senses of humor, but they're also professionals, and so there's a balance here, and it's hard for a lot of filmmakers to find it. Apparently, a lot of TV shows, a lot of things. So, it's I can see how this being a very real concern for members of the military looking at a character who is, you know, uh, Frank Castle is a former former Marine. Uh, he is a ex-soldier who uses his skill and his ability to kill, uh, and he does it very, very well, right? Now, Chuck Dixon, like I said, um, had some concerns about the show as well, and one of his concerns was that it was going to be a little too PC, because what the Punisher show is on, the Netflix, on Netflix is seeming to do, from the previews and what we've heard about the show, is that Frank Castle, in this context, is not going after the criminal underclass so much as he's going after the people who are responsible for killing his family, which was traditionally the criminal underclass. And now he's going after what is a government conspiracy, which he's part of. This is stuff that happened when he was in the military, involved with the CIA, and this is what's got his family killed, right? And that is a bit of a shift from what the Punisher has done in the comics. And Chuck Dixon, who again has written Punisher, uh, has been wildly has been responsible for a huge amount of, like I said, what you enjoy about Batman. Uh, he wrote the character for a long time. He created Birds of Prey, um, and Gail Simone, of course, uh, really made Birds of Prey an amazing hit. But Chuck Dixon created it, um, and his his comment was in that in this environment, political environment, the you know, Netflix is not going to have him go after the criminal underclass because they're going to be minorities, right? Now, in all fairness to Chuck Dixon, uh, he is a conservative writer. He doesn't show this in his writing. Um, if you never read a single, if you never get a single sense of that in any of Chuck Dixon's comic books, he's done his job. That's not his place to do those things in, as far as he's been concerned. Um, but um, it does inform to some degree his opinion here. And I would argue that Netflix has actually done, um, you know, when you consider the fact that uh, Luke Cage has got a lot of black villains, Daredevil has a lot of Asian villains, um, showing, showing villains of, of non-white non uh, aspect uh, is something that has actually happened on the Netflix shows. So going here, I don't know. Um, but that's not actually what I want to uh, touch on, because that is a whole different discussion, and um, for good or for ill, um, it's a much deeper topic to get into. The question I'm, that I was coming up with in all of this is that the Punisher as a character works very well as a secondary character as a background character or as a, um, a foil for the hero. Uh, for those of you who aren't aware with the history of the character so much, he came out of the 1970s. Um, he was kind of inspired to some degree um, by uh, 
sort of the vigilante films of the time. Um, and he was often portrayed in a very villainous way. He was not, certainly not a hero at all. He was an anti-hero. And that is a place that he inhabited for a very, very long time. Now, come the 90s, um, or 80s, actually the 80s, uh, he was often portrayed as being someone who was psychologically damaged, who was a little bit crazy. And then, of course, the 80s and 90s, he got into um, some really interesting storytelling um, and some really terrible storytelling. For those of you who may not aware, be aware that Frank Castle died and he was brought back to fight demons. Yeah, it's a thing that happened. And his guns were magic angel guns and it was just terrible. There was Frankencastle. This is a thing. This is a thing that Marvel Comics did. There was a... Frankencastle. I'm not making this up. Um, but some of the things that have actually happened with Frank Castle in terms of this kind of storytelling is that some of the authors have played with the fact that he has psychologically troubled. He's a vigilante. He's a murdering vigilante. The people he's murdering happen to be criminals, but he's still out there killing people. And we have this little thing called the rule of law and, you know, trials and convictions and all these things. But he plays into a certain kind of wish-fulfillment fantasy that a lot of superheroes actually play into. If you think about it, Batman, if Batman had a gun, he would essentially be... The difference between the Punisher and Batman gets real fuzzy. Uh, Batman doesn't kill, except Batman kind of does. Uh, Batman just doesn't kill with a gun. Um, the Punisher is more obvious about it, and he, of course, in the comics, he's killing the bad guys, right? But the problem is, in the, in the real world, and this is where it gets interesting with Netflix, is that in the real world, the bad guys is often less clear-cut. There's good and evil, black and white, work great on the page. But you get into the real world, and sometimes, sometimes it's perfectly clear. Again, Nazis are bad. But sometimes it's not so clear. And this is where some people are concerned and about what you're going to see with Frank Castle in this. Um, my problem with the Punisher has always been he has no end point. There's no arc to the character. He's got a built-in reset button. Frank Castle will never be done. You will never defeat. You will never destroy all crime. You will never wipe out all the drug dealers. You will never wipe out all the bad guys. You can't do it. Um, in fiction, nobody does. I mean, you're... <laughs> In fact, if you, anytime in fiction this has been established, it's usually become a dystopia, and somebody has to come along to tear it down, because that's not how the world, real world works. So, my problem with the character is that no matter what you do, no matter what each individual author does with developing the character, you reach a point where you have to reset him for the Punisher to remain the Punisher. Because if the Punisher hangs up his guns, you're done. The story is over. You cannot tell any more Punisher stories. 
And so you always have to keep coming back to the idea that he is going to be never reaching the end of his, his arc. He's never going to have an arc. He will never develop as a character. He will never, or he can only go so far in developing him as a character. Because once you've avenged your family, you're done. But if you keep going, what are you? And that's the question, that, that's one of the issues that um, could make for some really gripping storytelling. But also something that is not really necessarily the most gripping storytelling for a Netflix Marvel series. How psychological do you want to get? How much do you want to dive into the fact that Frank Castle, um, if he does, if he avenges his family and keeps going, he's a murderer? Yes, he's killing, he's killing bad people, his definition of bad people, and there we get into fuzzy things again. Um, you know, in the real world, who the bad people are is not always so clear-cut. Sometimes the people who think that these are the bad people are crazy or have an agenda that is not about these people actually being bad, or it's their def these people's definition of bad, right? We don't know why the guy in Vegas shot those people. He did not conveniently leave us a note, or a manifesto, or anything, which is really troubling to a lot of people, because we want to understand. We want to know why this happened, right? Um, but we, didn't, we, we don't have that answer. There's still debate about the timeline, right? That's the real world. And unfortunately, the real world does impact our storytelling. Now, I am not one of those people who thinks that violent media causes violence in the real world in an A to B to C kind of connection. I think that people can be influenced by violent media who are already predisposed. Uh, you know, okay. So, um, John yeah, it is John. So, John Popham, who's, who's commented on the show before. Hi, John. The Punisher is about vendetta. Batman traditionally is integrated with justice. Justice versus vengeance. Yes, you are correct. Um, but, um, if you gave the, the, the comic series now metal, DC's comic series, which is basically a bunch of different alternate universe versions of Batman, um, I have mixed feelings about that. That's a whole other show. But it actually takes away that uh, concept of justice. And he becomes something that is much more supernaturally inclined, you know, Frank and Castle aside. Um, I just love saying Frank and Castle. It's such a terrible storyline. Uh, but it actually becomes this thing where he is much more of the kind of monster that castle could be. And some writers have done a really good job of writing Frank as not being a monster. And I think that's important in terms of the storytelling that we get. Um, yes, okay, so again, the, the, perhaps the Punisher is a limited, albeit emotionally satisfying character. Yes. And that's part of the problem, and one of the, one of the good things and the bad things about the character. He meets an emotional need. We want justice when we don't have it. Batman meets that emotional, emotional need, too, um, and in a different way. Superheroes do meet. That's the whole point of superheroes. 
they are able to fight for justice in ways the police and the courts and the military can't, right? Um, and Death Wish, which kind of influenced the Punisher quite a bit, um, was very, that was the core of the story. And if you, don't, if you aren't familiar with the movie Death Wish, don't worry, you're getting a completely unnecessary remake coming out here with Mel Gibson. Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis. Oh, God, is it Bruce Willis? All right, there's a chance it might actually be good. For some reason, I had it in my head that it was Mel Gibson. It was like, oh, God, <laughs> this is just not going to work. But Bruce Willis, potentially. But the problem is, is that it is, okay, the basic premise of, of and I'm not going to spoil it for you. <laughs> I can't spoil a movie that's what, 40 years old. Uh, so, but there, again, there's a remake coming out, so I don't want to spoil it, right? But the premise there is, again, it's revenge on an individuals who have taken a loved one from you. Okay? And the Punisher meets that emotional need for striking back against those, the bad people who have taken innocence from us. Right? Batman does it through an ongoing uh, fight against crime, striking fear into the hearts of criminals, and, and fighting for justice, but never killing. Uh, Frank Castle, of course, does it the other does it you know on the opposite end where he goes after those you know criminals and he ends it. There, these people will not uh, you know hurt anybody again. And interestingly enough, you know, in some respects, he has a lot in common with a character that I have often I've said on this show several times that I am actually a big fan of, and that's the Shadow. But here again is where things get interesting in terms of how, the, how we tell stories. The Shadow came out of a certain time as well. He came out of the 1930s and 1940s. And it was much more of a black and white, good versus evil world. Thank you, that's another one. Um, Vengeance often tries on the robes of justice, but it never wears them well, it makes terrible mistakes. And I'll come back to that in just a second, because I think that's an excellent point, and it's actually tying into something I wasn't gonna talk about anyway. Um, the Shadow is a killer, right? But he's also a killer in an era of gangsters and gangster movies and gangster fiction and all that stuff, right? So he's a specific kind of vengeance-driven character, right? And one of the reasons I think most modern versions of the character, char that character transplanted into now or the last 20 years or somewhere in the future or wherever, is that it, it's, he's out of his environment. He's out of the place where he works, and where that kind of that kind of character works, Frank Castle came out of the 1970s in New York. New York in the 1970s is a very very different place than New York is now. Um, one of the things that a lot of people who have watched the Daredevil series on Netflix have found amusing is that it's set in Hell's, Hell's Kitchen. Well, I've been to New York. Hell's Kitchen is a very nice place. I mean that that part of that part of New York's history doesn't exist anymore. Right? New York is not, um, obviously there's crime and violence in New York City. There's crime and violence in every big city. But it is not the crime-ridden, drug-den, you know, gang warfare thing that it was in the 1970s and the 80s. It simply isn't. Um, and that, the world that the Punisher inhabited is not so much the real world. And the Netflix, and, and here's why that matters, is that the Netflix series actually 
kind of sets itself in now in our world. It's the Marvel Universe, but it's much more grounded on the street level kind of now for that environment. And that kind of makes a difference. And one of the reasons the Punisher worked in the second season of Daredevil is because he was the secondary character and he was kind of the bad guy. He was an interesting bad guy. He was a bad guy you could understand. And that actually makes, it, makes the character interesting because he's broken and he's damaged. And I love broken and damaged characters. I'm a film noir guy, remember? I, mean, I love those people who are just troubled and they do the wrong thing for the right reason or the right thing for the wrong reason. They make some interesting storytelling. But we're talking a whole season of Frank Castle. And if you, I'm sure, some of you who actually like the character are aware, and those of you who, who, who may not and aren't aware, there have been three different Punisher movies. You could argue very strongly that nobody has got them right in any of them. I actually happen to be a fan of one of them. I will leave you to guess which one in whatever comments or social media, and then I will let you know if you're right. But um, there are degrees of how they've gotten the character right or wrong. And let me see that. Let me see that message again from from John, real quick. Thank, sorry, sorry about this, folks. Um, no, it was the it was the last one. Yeah, this is his last one. Okay, so right. So vengeance vengeance often tries on the robes of justice, but never wears them well. It makes terrible, terrible mistakes, and we get it wrong when emotion is in the lead. Okay, yes. And this is, in the course of the comics, Frank Castle is able to become a machine. He's able to become someone who basically shuts down his emotional core and just goes after the He's He's a horror movie monster. He's Michael with a gun, which is an interesting, that's what I want to cross over I want. I want Frank Castle versus the monsters. That would, well, no, that, we're back to, Frankencastle again. <laughs> I said it again. Um, so, so what concerns me is that the character, when not handled well, can be a caricature or, or just a killing machine uh, or lacking anything worth being interesting. And I think that what they're trying to do with Netflix, the Netflix series, and I can't, I don't know, I haven't seen it yet. But what it seems like they're trying to do is take him out of that very narrow box that the character has been in, in terms of going after just crime families. Now, this doesn't mean you can't have the show basically end with him having succeeded in avenging his family and then going, aha, now we'll go after the street-level criminals, which would be a way to make the character work beyond um, this narrow box that he's often in. But I don't know. Anyway, we'll have more about that as we get closer to the show. We hear more about it, and we actually see some of the episodes. Um, there's a lot, a lot that they can do here and get wrong. And, of course, Iron Fist has shown that Marvel and Netflix can get it wrong. So we'll see what happens. Anyway, I'd love to hear your comments and your thoughts. Uh, thank you, John. We really appreciate your input. Um, for, well, I'm basically out of time. Thank you for listening to... Uh, uh, the Tim Harvey Show folks are watching it. Uh, if you're watching it here on Twitch, we'll be back next week with more of The Tim Harvey Show.
This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi for Me Radio. Copyright 2017 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. This is Sci-Fi for Me Radio.